Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Okay, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fandom Analytics or Fanalytics podcast brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis. I'm joined by Doug Battle. Today's topic, Doug, is one of the things we were, we're known for, one of the things we've been doing for years and years, and that is a look at essentially rating the best fans for a given professional league. Today, the topic is the NBA. Yeah, it's that time of year, Mike. Uh, college football on a little bit of a hiatus. NFL, of course, still in full swing, but NBA, we're getting close to Christmas, and I feel like that's I feel like the NBA regular season before Christmas is really a preseason. Uh, it's kind of warm ups. Everybody's you, you don't hear a lot of talk and maybe it's because of the overlap with the other major sports, but it feels like NBA season is really just getting started. And, you know, come Christmas time, uh, it, it'll be in full swing and we'll be hearing more and more uh, in, in the coming weeks, especially with college football on hiatus for, for a little bit. I, I think that's true. You know, Doug, you follow the NBA. You're more the you're more the NBA guy than I am. This season feels a little bit strange to me. Like I, I don't yeah. know where. You know, usually when we go into the NBA, there's a lot of hype. You know, over the last mm-hmm. few years, it's been built around over. You know, this group of guys has gone to this franchise, and this is the new super team. I, I don't know what's really. You know, I, I don't know what's really kind of out, out there, sort of for the NBA season. You got any thoughts? I mean, what's um, I mean, if you just look at what's happening, it's kind of same old, same old. As far as the East, there's a handful of teams that are all in contention, all kind of younger. You know, it's not like a bunch of veteran-led squads. It's it's Giannis and it's Jason Tatum, uh, Trey Young, and I guess Joel Embiid's a veteran at this point, but and James Harden with the Sixers. But and then in the Western Conference, you know, of course, I think the Warriors are probably everyone's favorite, but they're not having the season uh so far. But again, I don't think that changes. Like I bet I would think that Vegas would still have them as the favorites. Uh the Phoenix Suns, you know, the team that's new in the mix, if you're looking at standings, is the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, with Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, a young team right now sitting at second in the Western Conference ahead of the Warriors, ahead of the Nuggets, ahead of some of these teams who have been competitive over the years. And so, um, you know, if anything, like that's an interesting story. But I think you're right. I think it's been a lot of the same. You know, it's almost like we're expecting a Celtics-Warriors finals again, and everyone's just waiting for it to get to that. Um, And until then, it's not. As far as... I mean, for basketball fans, it's always fun. It's fun to watch basketball. But for the mainstream consumer, 
Um, I don't know that it's the most interesting storylines this year. And I think LeBron being out of the mix to some degree, although the Lakers have picked it up lately, uh, I think LeBron being out of the mix is for the NBA, probably not what they want because that's their, that's their icon. Yeah. Well, and probably, unfortunately, the biggest NBA story has probably been Kyrie Irving, right? So yeah. it's, so they, they, they didn't have a great set of narratives going into the season or obvious narratives. And the one that developed is one they just want to have go away. Okay, so Doug, so the background on this, and I won't go into too much details, but the way these rankings are derived is I go out there and I collect a bunch of data related to how teams perform on marketing metrics. So things related to fandom, fan loyalty, fan passion, Mm -hmm. brand equity, whatever you want to call it. So I, I collect outcome measures like attendance, prices, revenues, social media following, road road attendance, so just about everything I can find. And then I build economic or statistical models of how the league operates. Mm-hmm. The way the rankings come about is I essentially take a look at which teams over and which teams underperform what you might expect based on things like the population in their metro area, mm-hmm. the average income levels, the winning percentage, the size of their arena. So you know, just about every piece of data I can find that's publicly available. And we look at, you know, we, we see how the league works economically, and then we see who over and under performs. So Doug, what I thought we'd do, since we got 30 teams to get through in, in a podcast, is I'm just going to give you blocks of teams. So we'll go five teams, five teams, five teams, and we'll start with the bottom. And we can just sort of talk in general about the history of those teams, the, you know, the, the history of those teams' fan bases, and, you know, hopefully reach some conclusions to, as to why some teams end up where they do. Mm-hmm. You know, what makes for a great fan base and what makes for a struggling fan base. Sound good? Sounds great. Let's do it. Okay, Doug. And I'm going to count these down. So we'll start at the bottom of the list. And so I'm going to count from number 30 and we'll go up five. Okay. So last place in the fan rankings. And I lived in this town for a few years. The Minnesota Timberwolves. At number 29, the Washington Wizards. At 28, the Memphis Grizzlies. 27, and you just mentioned this team, the New Orleans Pelicans. Rough place for the NBA to be when uh, up-and-coming team, (laughs) several up-and-coming stars at the bottom of the fan equity rankings. And number 26, the Charlotte Hornets. You started to say Bobcats. I did. did. (laughs) And when you were saying New Orleans Pelicans, you started to say Hornets. Yeah, that that whole naming thing probably has something to do with how low those teams are on here. But, I mean, there's there's kind of two types of teams that are on this bottom five because you've got teams like the Washington Wizards who are in a pretty, like, decent market. But if you, like, have spent any time in D.C., it's like they don't have a basketball team. Like nobody cares about the Wizards, even though there's a lot, there's plenty of Nationals fans, there's plenty of Washington, R word, football team commanders fans. And the basketball team is just not, not, it's not cool to be a fan. It's like not a thing. Um, and then there's small, really small market, like Memphis. I feel like Memphis, the people that are actually there, love that team and support them. And I have family there that I was just with over Thanksgiving and we were talking about, you know, they're excited about the young players that that team has and they're hoping they can keep John Moran around. And so those are kind of the two different types of fan bases that I see here. Uh, Like you said, young talent, like the Timberwolves at last in the league, 
Anthony Edwards is a guy that, for all we know, he could be the face of the league in five years. Um, of course, the Pelicans with Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, the Hornets well, a- with LiAngelo Ball. I mean, young stars. It's it's a lot like the NFL where you had you know Mahomes and Josh Allen playing on these kind of smaller market teams. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if they stick around in those areas or on those teams or if, if they end up joining the Lakers and the Celtics and kind of the blue bloods of the NBA. Well, let's stay there for a second. So the young talent, you mentioned Minnesota. Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. Yeah. Are those, you know, the NBA has always been about having that second star. Mm-hmm. Is that potentially two NBA, all NBA players in a couple of years? I mean, you know, and we, we never know. And that seems to be the, that's the mystery of how do you build this brand equity? How do you get that first star and that second star? What do you think? Well, and, and for those uh, keeping up, the Timberwolves went and they traded a lot of picks to bring in Rudy Gobert, an all-star, uh, you know, a, te- a, a Olympian to their team this year. And so that's three potential all-stars on the same team. It's an interesting fit, though, to me, Mike. Like, Towns and Edwards has never... If you put Anthony Edwards and John Moran in the same backcourt, I think it would be super dynamic. For some reason, Edwards and Towns... It's like Towns clogs the paint and Edwards wants to drive into the paint. And so there's like this... Uh, I don't, I'm not so sure that it's a good mix, and I don't know how long it's going to last. I personally think at some point the Timberwolves are going to pick one. They're going to trade, and I think it's going to be Towns that goes. I think they're going to stick with Edwards, get rid of Towns, and build around the the young shooting guard in a guard-driven league. Uh, but, you know, they do have two young players who are probably, you know, if there were the Olympics this year, they would both probably be on the team or have a shot at that. And so... Um, you know, I, I, that's part of the formula. The other part is winning with those players. And that's what we've yet to see. I think, you know, if you go back, the Pelicans years back had Anthony Davis as their star and they brought on DeMarcus Cousins. They made a trade. They brought on DeMarcus Cousins and people were saying, OK, they've got that second superstar. Now they're for real. Now they're going to build fandom. Well, they didn't win a lot of games. They had some injuries and, and that combination didn't last very long. So I think the next part of the formula is winning. And that's what we're seeing now with the Pelicans who are on you know this portion of the list who are starting to win some basketball games. CJ McCollum, I think, was a good pickup for them. And uh, of course, Zion Williamson kind of maturing and growing into his own. And the more he stays healthy, the more they win basketball games. And so it'll be interesting to see uh, how that fan base grows after changing their name twice. Well, and we'll... I don't know. It doesn't seem like Zion is committed to the New Orleans lifestyle from how this is going for a few years. But, you know, Doug, so looking at this group, you know, so maybe Minnesota is kind of a fundamentally different thing, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I look at that franchise and, you know, they've, they've got a history with Kevin Garnett. They don't have a history of winning championships. Part of me wonders is that, like, look, I lived in Minneapolis for a few years. Hockey town? Is this this a town that Really, basketball is, uh, uh, you know, is basketball definitely sport number four? So it's going to be an uphill climb. But the, but the other clubs on this on the bottom of the list, the Charlotte Bobcats, the the New Orleans Hornets, the the Vancouver Grizzlies, the Washington Bullets. <laughs> you know, I, I've been on record saying, you know, that, and, and this is based on college data that changing the name doesn't matter i start to look at this and i start to reach a very different conclusion Mm -hmm. changing the name 
of your franchise or moving a franchise is something, it should be an absolute last resort. It just devastating to building a, building a fan base. Yeah. I, I got to agree on that one. Uh, the Washington wizards has always been one of my least favorite names, but it kind of makes sense. Like you'll hear a point guard called a wizard in the game of basketball, the new Orleans Pelicans, that one, I mean, the Hornets wasn't a super intimidating name, but it's kind of amazing, not just that they're changing their team names, but they're changing them to mascots like the Pelicans. Um, not the most inspiring. I'm not, if I'm picking a team, you know, if I'm a 10-year-old kid and I'm going to pick a team and I got to decide between the, you know, the Grizzlies and the Pelicans, I'm going to pick the Grizzlies. <laughs> okay, so looking at the, the next group of clubs, um, at 25, I've got the Detroit Pistons. At 24, uh-oh, the Brooklyn Nets. 23, the Indiana Pacers. 22, the Atlanta Hawks. And 21, the Orlando Magic. Initial reactions. Anything that strikes you as odd there or you want to complain about? Because look, Doug, these lists always generate complaints. So yeah. if you want to say I'm stupid, uh, you don't know why Emory employs me, uh, you know, feel, you know, go at it. I'm, I'll say this. I'm surprised the Nets are this high. Um, I, I, I grew up, weirdly enough, I pulled for the Nets because I'm a Giants fan and they played on the same area, like East Rutherford, New Jersey. And I thought it was like the same team. I thought it was like the basketball equivalent of the Giants. And so I pulled for them growing up. And I learned as I got older that the Nets have no fans. And they moved to Brooklyn. So it's a relocated team that already had no fans. They're the second team in New York. And I think I would, my argument against your ranking here. Let me add one more to that. It's an ABA team. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so my bet would be that the Nets do have stars and they've had, you know, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and even James Harden and Ben Simmons, like they've been in the media so much these last couple of years that I would think that that media attention would skew their followings. Like people are going to follow them because they want to see what happens with Kyrie Irving might not necessarily be a Nets fan. Um, And so that's just one that sticks out to me. The Pistons are the most successful of these bottom teams, like historically, Um, you know, the Hawks seem a little bit high for like having lived in Atlanta and knowing that the Hawks are probably the second or third, they're the third or fourth professional team in a city where college sports reign supreme. Um, so it's kind of interesting to me that they're as high as they are. And, you know, teams like the magic seem like they would be higher if they could ever just keep their, you know, if they could have kept Shaq or if they could have kept, Tracy McGrady, or if they could have kept, if people tend to seem to always be leaving Orlando. So it's one of those fan bases where they've they've kind of been through it, and you got to respect the people who have stuck around. Yeah, one one way I look at this, all this stuff, is I, I think about the team's iconic players, right? You, mm-hmm. you think about, and it's almost, uh, you know, maybe you think, well, oh, the guy that played there 20, 30 years ago shouldn't matter, but. I think you go to any arena and it doesn't matter if it's football, baseball or basketball. And it's like, uh, you tend to see almost like jerseys, like being in two groups, right? Mm -hmm. There's like the old school retro Jersey. And then there's the new star Jersey. Mm -hmm. 
And I tend to think the, the healthiest teams are the ones where you can name two or three guys that can be on those retro jerseys. And, and so when I'm compiling this list, one of the things I did was I looked at, on basketball reference, the top players on each team in terms of win shares. So who historically has won the most games for these guys? And, you know, Orlando's kind of a fascinating one. I mean, you know, Shaq, Tracy McGrady, uh, mm-hmm. Penny Hardaway, Nick mm-hmm. Anderson, uh, Dwight Howard. I mean, that's actually fairly phenomenal. And then you yep. compare it to, let's say, the Atlanta Hawks. And how many Hawks can you think of historically? I mean, to me, there's one name and only Dominique one. Wilkins. Dominique Wilkins. Didn't Pistol Pete play for the Hawks for a little bit? I think he was one of these guys that bounced around from New yeah. Orleans who uh, play, played at a bunch of places. And, like, of course, I could name a bunch of Hawks players that grew up in the Southeast, you know, and was there for Al Horford and Josh Smith and whatever. But I think the, the average sports fan guys, is going to be... Are those guys jersey-worthy? No. <laughs> no. No. They and, and, of course, Trey Young now. and they I mean, they've got some talent now. Uh, DeJounte Murray and John Collins and stuff. But they... It's not the Celtics. It's not the Lakers. It's not. They, they don't have this. They don't. There's not a lot of players you can build statues of outside the arena. And they do have a statue, and it's of Dominique Wilkins, and that's it. So, yeah. Okay. How about the Pacers? You know, as I was putting those lists together, I had this stray thought: if Michael Jordan hadn't existed, would Reggie Miller have won a championship or two for the Indiana Pacers? And would that be a whole different kind of thing? I think so. I think Indiana is a basketball state, <laughs> and uh, the I think people in Indianapolis love the Pacers and pull for them. It's just they haven't been successful, so they haven't had. And when I say successful, I mean like with championships and dynasties and that and that sort of thing. And so they haven't had the fan base grow beyond the, kind of the local community. And I think they probably would have. I think there's a number of teams. Uh, that would have in that era. You look at the Phoenix Suns, the Utah Jazz, uh, and of course the Pacers amongst other teams. I think the Pistons probably would have had more championships. And so Michael Jordan probably did as much as he did for Chicago. He probably did that much damage, you know, for teams like the Pacers that really probably their heyday was coming in second or third because of Michael Jordan and, and their star could never be the star. He was always kind of second team shooting guard because of Michael Jordan. And so, yeah, the Pacers, when you think of them, you know, there's really one player that comes to mind. It's Reggie Miller. And I, I, I like that. Like when they're in the playoffs, those fans are locked in. They had some years where they were challenging LeBron when he was in Cleveland and in Miami. Um, They had guys like David West and Paul George and they've got some passion, man. But like I said, they haven't had the, the ultimate success. And I think that's kind of put a cap on, on their fandom. Yeah. You, you mentioned a couple of these other ones. You talked a little bit about them. You know, Detroit is a funny one to me. Yeah. You would think it would be higher that they would have built some brand equity that it would have stuck around. But then, you know, I also have this, these thoughts, right. That, you know, that, that heyday was in the late 1980s. And so we're really coming up on, you know, more than 30, 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, maybe there's a Michael Jordan effect that the the legacy can't be the villain to, you know, the, the Joker to Michael Jordan's Batman. That yeah. that the, the love isn't going to be there for Isaiah and Joe Dumars and Bill Lambeer. But, you know, those strike me as 
those names strike me as things that you could wear on the jersey. And mm-hmm. so I guess the question is, has there been anything really since then that has risen to the level of, I want to put this guy's name on my back? And, and maybe, maybe it hasn't happened. Yeah, I think that the way history's been told with the Pistons has probably been negative for their fandom building. I mean, on the one end, it's like their Darth Vader, where it's like, oh, that's cool. You know, some people are drawn to the bad guy. Like, there's probably more people that dress up as Darth Vader for Halloween than Luke Skywalker. Um, and, and that's the Pistons, you know. But on the flip side of that, they are always like in the narrative and the storytelling, they're always the the team that's kind of in the way that it's like they're the Washington generals or something like they're, they're always going to lose. Ultimately, even if they win championships, it's ultimately the way the story's told the championships that really matter. are The ones where Jordan finally starts winning them and they're kind of vanquished ultimately. And so I think that, you know, for a long time as a Georgia fan, it felt like that with Alabama where Georgia, you would watch the documentary of Alabama season that they would do on sec network. And Georgia was kind of the, the hump to get over the tough challenge with a lot of talent that they would always win. And ultimately we were just kind of a, like a plot device (laughs) for whoever's telling the story of Alabama football. And of course that's changed. You know, once you start winning championships and especially, I I think the problem with the Pistons is they won at the beginning of the story and the way the story is told, it doesn't end there. And so the, the, you know, they kind of, they don't get the last laugh in that story. And therefore you know, I think anyone who watches that is far more inclined to become a Bulls person um, than to become a Pistons fan. Okay, seating up this list. At number 20, we've got the Phoenix Suns. Num- number 19, the Denver Nuggets. Number 18, the, you know, interestingly named Utah Jazz. Always going to be an interesting brand. Number 17, the other second major market team of the Los Angeles Clippers. And number 16, ranking fairly high. Um, I think this was a, is, a partic- is a really interesting case study is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, first thing that sticks out to me is the Clippers. They, that seems high. It's got to be because of just how massive Los Angeles is. Um, I know that like Kawhi Leonard famously, when he went to the Clippers in his off season of craziness, he said that he grew up a lifelong Clippers fan and everybody kind of scoffed at that because nobody's a lifelong Clippers fan. And I think that kind of sums it up. The response to that comment uh, is why I am skeptical that they have a you know top half of the league fan base. Um, so that, that's my initial reaction. I'm actually not surprised about the thunder. They got some, when they moved from Seattle. Hold on. Let's stay there for a second. Cause you, you've kind of, you know, in in terms of your personal fandom, you've always liked to be that, that guy, you know, sort of going against the grain, like, you know, going upstream, growing up in Alabama and becoming a Georgia fan. Right. And so what do you think of the, so your kid growing up in Los Angeles, counterculture move is to become the Clippers fan. Yes. No, Well, that's what I'm saying. I think that like, it's such a big market that the small subset of people who are like that is still bigger than like Indianapolis or Memphis. And so 
that's why the numbers are there. But I don't like, I've spent a good deal of time in Los Angeles and I have friends in Los Angeles. I have never in my life met a Clippers fan, not a <laughs> single one, not a single one, not yeah. a single one. And I've, I've also, I've been to a Clippers game, Mike. You know why I went to a Clippers game? Availability of tickets. Because I wanted to see the Staples Center and tickets were a quarter of the price of Lakers tickets. And so, and so I think that's like even ticket sales and things like that. It's like the people in the stadium most of the time. And I know people that go to the, they go, you know, you want to, you're a Luka Doncic fan. And when he comes and plays LeBron and the Lakers, it costs $500. And when he comes and plays the Clippers, it costs $30. Um, and and well, so let me, let me give you a couple of numbers to flesh that out. So, yeah. Um, if you look at social media following, the Clippers have one fifth, 20% as many as the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the listed average ticket prices, before we get to secondary market stuff, the Lakers ticket price is 50% higher. Mm-hmm. So there is a, you know, people are clearly voting with their eyeballs in terms of social media and with their wallets in terms of ticket prices. Yeah. And they're playing in the same arena and they're playing the same teams. And oftentimes they have a better team. Like in the last decade, they've had a better team probably at least half the time. I mean, I remember Blake Griffin and Chris Paul had some really special years while Kobe's teams were down. And more recently with Kawhi and Paul George being consistently in the playoffs while the Lakers have been missing it. And so the product even can be better um, and it's a lot cheaper. So I think <laughs> if anything, there's a natural fan base of people who can't afford the Lakers, can't afford to be a Lakers fan and kind of slide into that and feel like, you know what, this team's just as good. They don't get as much hype. I tend to like the underdog. I'm going to pull for them. Uh, so I think that's where this group is coming from. But like I said, don't meet a lot of passionate Clippers fans, especially the Lakers. You'll meet Lakers fans. I mean, when I went to the University of Georgia, I was like half of my friends were Lakers fans. Where, uh, you'll, yeah. They're like Cowboys fans or, you know, they're all over the place. Uh, I've ne- never met a, met a Clippers fan in Los Angeles. And I've never met a Clippers fan anywhere else. I think everyone in the stadium is just people that are there to see the stadium or the opposing team. <laughs> and Steve Ballmer. The, yeah, the absolute danger, of, you know, the struggles of being that team number two. Yeah. Okay, in terms of this group, when I see Oklahoma City there, all I can think is that might have been the very worst move of a team of all time. You know, I mean, this is clearly like a different era, but Seattle fans are nuts about all their teams. Yeah. I mean, that's a sports crazy market. It's also a market that is so much larger than Oklahoma City. I mean, you know, can you can you keep stars in Oklahoma City for the long term or are they eventually going to move on because i bet you you can keep them in sort of you know this kind of tech haven of you know amazon yeah. and microsoft of of seattle these days so that, again don't move and if you're going to move don't go to a much smaller market yeah i still don't understand that move like i wasn't around for a lot of the the I almost said Seahawks for the Supersonics uh, heyday, but I do know that whether it's hockey, whether it's f- football, those Seattle fans are wild. And it seemed like the Supersonics had something special. Like when they left, everyone's kind of like, "Why did they do that?" Because that was one of the better fan bases. May not have been one of the bigger fan bases, but they kind of had like a Buffalo Bills type thing, where it's mm-hmm. like they made up for their lack of numbers with enthusiasm. And so. I, I still feel like at some point the NBA is going to relocate 
some team to Seattle because that, I mean, it's a pretty big market. It's a pretty good, I mean, it's kind of amazing that that city, if you look at the cities that have professional basketball teams, it's amazing that Seattle doesn't have one right now. And if you compare it, you know, if you're starting from scratch and you're deciding between Oklahoma city and a city like Seattle, it would be a no brainer. And so I appreciate the Oklahoma city fans though. I do think from day one, they brought a lot of passion to that team. They were very fortunate to have a good GM and to get players like Durant and Russell Westbrook and James Harden and to be competitive early on and have kind of been a perennial playoff contender for their entire existence. And so I think that's why they're as high as they are. But I think, you know, had those same teams been in Seattle, we'd be looking at a top five or top 10 fan base in the NBA. I suspect we're going to see Oklahoma City drop over time now um, as some of those guys have moved on. Okay, Doug, getting into the top half of the league now. Okay, so uh, we have number 15, the Portland Trailblazers. Number 14, the San Antonio Spurs. Both those markets are interesting in that these Mm -hmm. are, these are, Markets well, and, and number thirteen, the Sacramento Kings. I expect some pushback on that one. These are all markets that essentially there was only one game in town, right? Mm-hmm. There was only major league sport, and that was the basketball team, right? At twelve, we've got Milwaukee Bucks, and at eleven, the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. Yeah, Sixers is no surprise. Uh, the rest of these are relatively small, like Milwaukee and Sacramento. San Antonio and Portland, these are relatively small markets for professional sports. Like, you know, you're comparing somewhere like Seattle, like we were just talking about, um, or Los Angeles. And so, but like you said, it's, it's like in Portland, the trailblazers are the team. They, they have a soccer team that people, and I say this cause I, I spent some time in Portland as well, uh, for an internship in college and the trailblazers are the team and the whole t- that's something the whole city can rally around. Um, it's not like I mentioned the Hawks earlier being maybe the third or fourth professional team in a city where college sports probably hold more weight to the majority of, of the fans. And so it's a very, very different picture. And I think that's why Portland and, and San Antonio are as high as they are. And another thing, you know, I'm kind of surprised San Antonio is not a little bit higher because of the dynasty that they've had. I think that there's amongst, yeah. amongst like basketball fans, like true basketball fans. I know a lot of out a couple of details to support your argument here. Five yeah. championships. Okay. Yep. Tim Duncan, David Robinson, George Gervin, Greg Popovich. Right? I mean, the, the, the Spurs have a resume that you would think would easily put them in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that being 14 probably just goes to show how small <laughs> the San Antonio market is and and how little they have to work with to start with and it seems like they've done the most you can do remember we're we're adjusting for things like population and in income so it's just you know maybe san antonio's just not that look maybe it's, it has something to do with the the demographics that it's um it, it the, the sport of basketball doesn't resonate very well in a largely hispanic city mm-hmm. I, mean, like, yeah. I, I don't know i mean it's sort of speculation but uh well i'll say this um yeah. I mean, I think basketball purists will drift toward the Spurs because of the way they played basketball during their dynasty. But that said, they've never been, even at their peak, they were not the sexy team. The late, they were competing with the Lakers. They were competing with the Pistons. They were competing with, you know, all these teams that had all these stars and, and flash and the San Antonio Spurs were referred to often as boring. They were boring, but they won again, purists, 
not not their perspective, not their point of view, not my point of view. But I think for the masses, I don't know that the Spurs were ever marketed. Like when Tim Duncan, he retired the same year that Kobe Bryant did. And Kobe had this whole farewell tour. And Tim Duncan kind of went unnoticed, more or less had the same accomplishments in his career. And so I think part of it is the way that they've had success has been kind of quiet. And the stars have been quiet. Tim Duncan's kind of a quiet guy, doesn't draw a lot of attention to himself, didn't do a lot of marketing and commercials. Uh, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, those guys, Kawhi Leonard, those guys, they had kind of these subtle stars. Um, and, and so winning championships maybe didn't go as far for them as it would for the Lakers or the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Now, um, like I said, you know, these are all interesting markets through this, this piece. Um, you know, the Sacramento, the Sacramento Kings, frankly, this is one of the ones that when the results come out, I, I double check them, right? It's like the <laughs> Sacramento Kings above the yeah, San in front of the Spurs and Trailblazers. Um, but you know, I, I mean, you look at some of this, you know, the, the, the Kings have been, um, so let me just check my notes here. The Kings have not had a winning season since 2006. I mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable. So, you know, 15, 16 years, but they have similar social media presence as the Knicks and the Clippers, you know, teams in New York and Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and they're able to charge prices that are 10% above the league average. So Sacramento is that, is that adjusted for where they are? No, I'm just saying that's that's where you know the the way these rankings work. We make the adjustments on on the back end. These are just the raw numbers. Okay, I'm, I'm I see. In this description. Um, so it's you know it, it's it's an amazing. And so again, this is where this is where the data speaks, and you get a sense of even though they might not get a lot of credit. That the fans in Sacramento really love the Sacramento Kings. That even when the team isn't winning, they support this team, and that's kind of the, you know, a subtle point that won't come out from most rankings until you really do a deep dive into the data. Yeah, this is one of those things that you know a lot of these rankings are pretty intuitive. Like, I think a lot of people would have the. New Orleans Pelicans and Washington Wizards and Timberwolves in the bottom five. And it's no surprise, but this is one of those things where the data really brings out something that we didn't already know. Um, and so I'm, that's pretty fascinating about the Kings. And I haven't spent any time in Sacramento. Uh, so, you know, I imagine it's a pretty strong regional fandom. But again, do they have other professional teams in Sacramento? You know, do they have... It's like that's probably unifier much like the portland trailblazers and while the trailblazers have had more success um you know maybe there's something special in sacramento where that the locals you know really rally around that team and so that's uh you know that might be a really special fan base and i i'm i would love to learn more about what goes into to them being the 13th best in the league according to to these studies And what I think, like, I, I remember, and, you know, you're a little young for this, but I remember back in the, um, you know, when the, the Kings sort of had their run where they, you know, they never won a title, but they were pretty competitive. Right. God, I'm like blank. And who was the guy, the the player from Michigan? Chris um, Weber. Chris Weber. Yeah. Right. That suddenly, you know, th- there was some decent amount of attention paid to Sacramento when that team was winning, which I think just highlights that, you know, that that's a market that was really eager for a, you know, for some excitement, for some pro sports excitement. 
And you, you can sort of see it resonate through the years that they still are willing to pay. They still follow it on social media. And, and so th- that's the kind of the fan base that, you know, maybe the answer is they deserve, they deserve better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a fun thought experiment that if the San Antonio Spurs had the success, if, if the Kings had had the success of the San Antonio Spurs, would Sacramento be the epicenter of the NBA universe? Yeah. Uh, you know, a bizarre thought, right? Yeah. Or if they, you know, if they'd had the Golden State Warriors dynasty and the Kings, this is a long suffering fan base. I mean, you talk, you kind of touched on the fact that they haven't been in the playoffs. Not only that, though, they, if you look at their drafts over the years, they've consistently drafted busts the mm-hmm. pick before future superstars, guys like Steph Curry that they've passed on, guys like Clay Thompson. They easily could have a dynasty like that. And so the fact that their fans are sticking around is, uh, it's impressive. And right now the Kings are fifth in the Western conference. It's early in the season and there's not a lot of games between being fifth and being 12th or 13th. Uh, but they're competing right now. And I imagine city of Sacramento is fired up about their young team. And hopefully, you know, they won't keep uh, missing on the draft like they have over the years. And they've started to turn that around already because there's been some, I wish I had it pulled up, but I know that guys like Stephen Curry and, uh, I mean, Kawhi Leonard, and they, they could have a super team if they had drafted the right guys over the years. Well, just to follow up on that, looking at the Western Conference standings at this moment, and this might be why the NBA doesn't seem to be really popping in the media at this point. You got team number one, the, the Suns are winning the Western Conference, the Pelicans are second, the Nuggets third, the Grizzlies fourth, and the, the Kings fifth. The highest ranking team on our on our list in terms of these brands and these fan bases of, of all those is the Kings at 13th, right? So if, if you yeah. think about iconic brands as the stars, there are no stars at the top of the West at the moment. Yeah, not at the moment, but I, I personally like that. I, I like when the smaller market teams have their moments to shine. It's not just always the Lakers and so in the Western conference. So I'm, I'm here for it. Now we're moving into the top 10, right? So this is, this is where it gets kind of the, the rarefied air. At number 10, we've got the Toronto Raptors. At number nine, the Dallas Mavericks. Number eight, the Miami Heat. Number seven, the Houston Rockets. And number six, and you can uh, badger me on this one, but I'm not going to back down, the Cleveland Cavaliers. You mean the LeBron James fandom? <laughs> okay, so I spent a lot of, okay, so one of the one of the problems with analytics and I was watching ESPN. We're taping this on 12/5 December 5th. And one of the things that ESPN kept showing this morning was a, that the Dallas Cowboys had a 50% chance to make the Super Bowl. And it just occurs to me that a big problem with the way analytics are used is that people don't actually tell you what they're doing. I have mm-hmm. no idea what their projection that the Dallas Cowboys have a 50% chance of making the Super Bowl. It, I, don't, I don't know what's going into that. I don't know how valid it is because I don't know how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And so, in the case, so to really understand analytics, you got to have some background in terms of what's actually being done. So in the case of the Cleveland Cavaliers, 
the way these models work, we're comparing the team's performance or over or under performance versus how things have done with the rest of the league. One of the quantities we look at, one of the metrics is social media following. So if a team has had LeBron James off and on, if Le- when LeBron James comes to a team, the social media spikes up. And when he leaves the team, maybe the social media does not come back down. Mm-hmm. Then Cleveland may well be overrated in terms of this. That's a very fair point. But Doug, I got to tell you, I, I did a deeper dive on this. And Last year, Cleveland was ninth in attendance in the league and charged ticket prices that were about 8% higher than the league average. Okay. You might say, well, that's, you know, that's okay. That's good. That's solid, right? It's above average. But Cleveland is the 34th largest metropolitan area. Hmm. And so in, in some ways, Cleveland has... Cleveland vastly overperforms what mm-hmm. you might expect a market like Cleveland to produce. And so here's my, here's my question to you. Has LeBron been there enough? Has LeBron created the, look, the Bulls still sell out, you know, 25 years after Michael Jordan left. Right. Has LeBron elevated the Cavs to being, you know, like it's not a top five brand, but has LeBron elevate Cleveland basketball to be a top 10 kind of brand? Pretty phenomenal if that's what he's done. And from what you're saying, it sounds like it. And right now the Cavs are competitive. They're third in the East right now. They've got a young team. I've got a good friend who's a Cleveland guy. And he's kind of a perfect example of, you know, he grew up in Cleveland. Um, he's a big Ohio sports fan across the board. All the teams, Browns, Indians slash Guardians, and the Cavs. And I think that, when LeBron was there, it's like he has all these memories of mm-hmm. championships, but also coming up short in pain and, and sharing that with the team that when LeBron left, it's like there will always be part of him that he's a LeBron guy. He thinks LeBron's the greatest player of all time. He's better than Michael Jordan. He'll always root for him when he's in a championship or something. But he developed this tie to the team. And that's what like my experience as a fan, a New York Giants fan, my guy was Tiki Barber. He was my favorite player as a kid, and I just idolized him. And he left the team, uh, you know, retired early. And by then, I had developed kind of these, like, it's not relationships, obviously, but as a fan, it feels like a relationship with these other players and with the coaching staff and the front office. And you're, you've been keeping up with all the moves they're making because you want to see your guy have success that when he moves on, there's still a large part of you. And, and ultimately, that that team is able to keep your fandom. And so I think it's pretty impressive if that's, if the Cavs have kept a significant amount of LeBron fans as Cavs fans, because he's hopped around so much. I don't think Miami's had any long-term benefit uh, from the LeBron James years. I would say that Dwayne Wade had a lot more to do with their fan base being as high as it is. Um, And of course the Lakers were going to be high, whether LeBron's on the, on the team or not, but Cleveland, you know, making that jump, like much like the Bulls, I think that's pretty impressive because unlike the Bulls, Cleveland's not in a major market. They don't have those beautiful uniforms. They don't have like they don't have a lot going for them. And I think that LeBron might have permanently cemented them. You know, cemented a fan base for for basketball in Cleveland. I mean, uh, you know, t- cliche, but time will tell. But it, yeah. it, look, but I'm I'm stunned by how well Cleveland performs on this. You mentioned Miami. Miami's another fascinating case study, right? I mean, I don't necessarily think of like Miami as one of the kind of the 
the core or iconic NBA teams. But then I, but then when I like check myself, I'm not sure why I don't think that. Yeah. Miami has really been impressive over the last few decades. And you think about the people that have worn that uniform, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Alonzo Alonzo Mourning, Shaquille O'Neal, Jimmy Butler. Mm -hmm. Miami's done as much as anyone in the, you know, in the post Jordan era, I think. Yeah, Pat Riley in the front office. Uh, Pat Riley as coach at one point. I mean, that's that's a team, and and Dallas right behind them. That's you know both have won championships, both have had superstars, both have had iconic moments and historic moments in, in NBA history over the years. I think that also these teams were kind of at at a point. I guess the Cavs are an exception, but most of these teams keep their branding. Like the Heat wear the same uniforms they wore when I was a kid. And the Mavs look like the same team and they play on the same court and have the same logo. Like they have the same name. They don't relocate. Like when you get in the top tier of NBA teams, you start to see some longevity. And I think that, you know, I do think that that's beneficial and that plays a part uh, for fans because they feel like they're rooting for the same team they pulled for, even though it's a totally different group of players than like Alonzo Mourning Heat fans are still Jimmy Butler Heat fans and uh, Bam Adebayo Heat fans. Okay, let's go through the top five now. Sort of this uh, this countdown to greatness. Number five, and Doug, this feels a little low to me. I got the Boston Celtics. <laughs> it feels low. Uh, I mean, we're definitely in blue blood territory, though, because any of these teams, the rest of the way, it's, well, with the exception of one, uh, it's been a lot of championships, a lot, you know, iconic arenas, iconic players, and the Celtics right there with the Lakers in terms of, you know, if I had to pick off the top of my head, just based on intuition, who has the best fan base, I would say probably the Lakers or Celtics. So I am surprised that they're as low as they are. Do you have an explanation for, for why? I mean, like, I, I think the Celtics are the historical NBA brand, right? I mean, Red Arbuck, Larry Bird, Bill Russell, but you know, maybe there's a little bit of uh, maybe there's a little bit this this history starting to feel a little bit dated. Um, you know, like it, it still ends up being a top five team, but have they truly been at the top of the NBA consistently for the last thirty years? And I, I think the answer is the answer is no. And so it is a it is a brand that I think could get to the actual top of the NBA. Which is actually saying something because, look, I think everyone listening knows who's going to be number one on this list, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's kind of you just kind of feel it, right? That there's one team that sort of goes beyond the NBA. Um, look, there's, and again, we're we're sort of criticizing them for being number five. Um, I think it goes to the challenge, right? I mean, Jason Tatum is a legitimate NBA superstar, right, Doug? Yeah. Does Jason Tatum belong on the Celtics? Mount Rushmore, right? And so that's the challenge. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, I mean, he's got to win a championship or two to to be on that. But three to, or four, right? I mean, the Mount Rushmore. When you're talking about these teams, though, like the Lakers, I've always been like, is LeBron on the Mount Rushmore of Lakers players? Like, yeah, he might be the greatest player or one of the greatest players, but does his career in Los Angeles compare to? Kareem or Kobe Bryant or Magic Johnson, these guys who spent their careers in LA winning multiple championships, winning multiple MVPs, being the face of the league, uh, bringing LA to prominence in basketball. I don't think that LeBron does that in LA. I don't think he's, you know, I don't know if he makes that top four 
And it's the same with Jason Tatum. Of course, Jason Tatum's a younger guy, and he's you know if he spends the rest of his career in Boston, and this year like they're top of the East right now, they've got a chance to do something special. Jalen Brown on that team, uh, they tend to be well coached. You know, Brad Stevens is general manager right now, so they they're positioned to you know for him to maybe make that. But I think you're right. I think that like in my lifetime, the only potential Mount Rushmore Celtics player was like Paul Pierce. And of course, he was on that team with Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. But those were both mercenary players. I don't think that they make the Mount Rushmore when you're talking about some of the players, you know, Larry Bird, Bill Russell, some of these guys who won lots of championships. Dave Cowens. Yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah. So I think Paul Pierce in my lifetime is the only guy uh, that, that might have a shot. But, you know, Jason Tatum is still young enough where there's a chance, but he's lost, you know, he's had opportunities. Like last year, they were in the finals and, he didn't perform at his best and the Celtics didn't compete um, as well as, as a Celtics fan would hope. And so, you know, maybe there's some recency bias as to why they're not as high, but historically, certainly one of the the top franchises in basketball. Okay, Doug, and number four, we've got the Chicago Bulls. I feel like I'm a Michael Jordan fanboy on some of this stuff, but Jordan is... Jordan is the... He's he's not just the sports goat. He is the cultural goat. I mean, yeah. in terms of being a personality that transcends sports, he's up there with Muhammad Ali and, you know, I don't even know who else, right? I mean, his, his impact is amazing. So the Bulls are ranked number four on this list. And so we're talking about the Celtics, Mount Rushmore. Who's on the Bulls' Mount Rushmore? Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, like literally just his team. <laughs> Okay, and I mean, and that's that's the point, right? It's like yeah. it's like Rushmore might feature Jordan, Pippen, Phil Dennis Jackson, Rodman, and then another picture of Jordan, yeah. right? I mean, it's and so for them to you know say, sustain this brand, really based on an era of one player, just you know confirms just how special that guy was. Yeah, and I think the challenge though has got to be how do you how do you create excitement over something new um, when it feels like the greatest player you'll ever have has already played? Like the best days are behind you. And how do you how do you create excitement around this team with Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan? You know, when when your history is Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. How do you it's it's kind of it's like sequels and you know, when someone makes a great film and the sequel comes out and, or when they make a reboot 10 years later and it's the same universe, but totally different characters, like the Lord of the Rings show they use, you know, it's like the ultimate story has already been told and we bring in these new characters for a different story in the same world. And we want to create the same product, the same level of excitement. And a lot of times it falls short. We see that in cinema all the time. We see that in television all the time, the Chicago bulls, it's gotta be an enormous challenge to have such a great story and all these documentaries that have been made uh, of the Michael Jordan era and try to recreate teams that can compete and create dynasties. Like, I don't know that you're ever going to live up to it. And so, uh, you know, I think that would be an enormous challenge for the Chicago Bulls franchise. Yeah, but it's not a bad place to be, right? Um, you know, what do they got to do to maintain this? And eventually it's got to be something. Okay, Doug, at number three... This might be my favorite one on the list, right? Because this one drives people nuts. The New York Knicks. 
right? So this team that has been a disaster for almost as long as anyone can remember, a lot of 50-loss seasons, uh, security throwing out famous players, uh, a, a guy like Spike Lee who dresses in Nick's regalia, getting so mad at the front office. I, I don't know if he's attending the games again. An amazing thing, right? I've never, you know, when I whenever I talk to fans, there is no New York Knicks fan that is remotely happy with this organization. They might be the most unhappy fans out there, but the Knicks continue to sell out. They charge the highest prices in the league. The only weakness on any of the metrics is in social media where the Knicks do not perform great. But owning the Knicks is like owning a gold mine. Gold mine. And it's got to be just because of that strength of the fan base and the brand. Yeah, and it's pretty remarkable. If you look at the push the Nets have made to overthrow the New York Knicks as New York's team, uh, of course, Mikhail Prokhorov bringing on the stars and Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and you know that team with Darren Williams and Brooke Lopez and all those guys. And more recently, the team with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And it's shown that there's nothing you can do in New York City to steal those Knicks fans. They did not. They did not respond well to Brooklyn. There have been Nets Knicks games in Brooklyn with majority Knicks fans in the building chanting for the Knicks. They are diehard and they are loyal. And I think they take pride in the suffering at this point because it's it's been so long. And you know, most Knicks fans you talk to, that's all they'll talk about. They'll talk about how rough it's been and how it's it's a point of pride. I think that it shows, you know, loyalty and fandom and and so, you know, I respect the Knicks fan base. I it seems inevitable that the day's coming when they get a big star that carries them. And every offseason, there's talks when there's a big free agent. You know, whether it was LeBron, I think there was a lot of speculation that he would go to New York at some point, um, or Zion Williamson, or whoever. There's always speculation. I mean, you're talking about, you know, a place with amazing earning potential, yet no superstar has taken that plunge. You know, it really makes you, I mean, just scratch your head as to why no one has taken that. Because being the star of stars in New York City has got to be worth, you know, if you want to create a billion-dollar brand, LeBron, next LeBron, that's got to be the place to get it done. Yeah, and I think that guys like Durant have been sold on Brooklyn as the opportunity um, because there's still, the, the technically, there's the New York market and there's, there's it's a big market. I mean, Brooklyn itself would, is an enormous place, but New York, I don't know that anyone's, I don't know. I think there might be a fear of failure with that Knicks. I think the closest we've seen is Carmelo Anthony had a nice little run, and there was a time where it looked like they might win championships. He was on a team with Chauncey Billups, and I mean they had some other big names on that team. And Knicks fandom came out. You know, I would say out of the woodworks, but they've been out. They just haven't been on display because we haven't watched them. But uh, yeah, a few years back, Julius Randle was emerging and the Knicks made the playoffs and it was a big deal in New York. I mean, any level of success and New York is on the front page of every newspaper. Like the Knicks are, they are, I guess they're a a sleeping giant as far as their success. I think their fan base is wide awake and has been. So it's a matter of time, but it'll be fun that when the day comes that they get that guy, you know, if they just for once would get the guys that the Lakers get, 
um, the they're going to be the center of the basketball universe. I mean, you know, you just the highlighted, and this was more of a local story. But when the Knicks were playing the Hawks in the playoffs, yeah, and those started tra- uh, chanting "Trey Young is balding," <laughs> you know, nothing more fun than you know when New York when the New York Knicks have it rolling. Yeah. Okay, at number two on this list, and this is this is the team that has over the course of doing these ratings, these rankings, this is the core, the team that has made the biggest jump over time. And that's the Golden State Warriors. And the jump is, the jump was made for obvious reasons, right? Iconic player, won a bunch of championships. Yeah, and I think that what probably gets lost is that they already had really, really passionate fans in Oakland. Uh, the Bar- I remember watching the Baron Davis. They had different colored uniforms at the time. Baron Davis Warriors in the playoffs when they were playing, I think, the Utah Jazz forever ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, and just being in shock by how electric. They're kind of like the Raptors, where it's like, you know, they might not be the biggest market or the most historic franchise, but they were, man, their fans come out and have that passion, that that kind of Buffalo Bills magnitude of passion. And so when you combine that with, a 10-year run like they've had in a dynasty with one of the all-time great players, uh, really two of the all-time great players with, with Clay Thompson being one of the all-time two-way players and Steve Kerr and his history. And if you look back, a lot of people forget that Golden State had championships. Yeah, they have history prior to the, the Steph Curry years. And so, um, you know, it, it might seem like a recency bias as to why they're so high, but historically they're right up there with the rest of these teams. And I think that you combine that with the the passion that the fans have. And, you know, now they've moved to San Francisco, um, you know, across the Bay and being in a pretty big market and a, a big money town. Uh, they, you know, it's no surprise to me that they're as high as they are. And you got to take your hat off to the front office. They've done a tremendous job. I think you're touching on something important in this story, right? They used to play in Oakland. Now mm-hmm. they play in San Francisco. And that money that has been in that Bay Area has exploded over time. Mm-hmm. And so that probably helps them That probably helps them out quite a bit in terms of things like pricing power, even in addition, beyond the, the run that the team has gone on. Okay, Doug, that leaves us with exactly one team, the... Uh, a team that is truly iconic in all of sports. Number one on this list, the Los Angeles Lakers. They lead the team in social. They lead the league in social media. They charge prices as high as just about anyone short of the Knicks. They, you know, they play in the same. You, you noted they play in the same building as the Clippers, but they sell more seats. Um, you look at their list of uh, all-time stars. And it's almost comical. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Kobe Bryant, Jerry West, Will Chamberlain, Magic Johnson, Elgin Baylor, LeBron James, Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, you could keep going. Kurt Rambis, if you want to really kind of go kind of almost more novelty. They got something for everyone. Sports magic. Sports magic. Yeah, I think that the anti-Lakers fan is kind of like the anti-Yankees or anti-Dodgers fan where they feel like they have this unfair advantage because all the big stars want to play in LA. So even if they miss in the draft, they just get these guys and free agency so often. And uh, they're the big market team. So I think they are the bad guy to a lot of people, but nevertheless, the amount of stars that they've had, they just naturally attract so many fans. And uh, you know, the Staples center, which is now, I, I feel like, 
the crypto.com buying the staple center has been kind of a negative it's been viewed negatively by their fans they don't like that um but you know they they have such a grasp on that building that the clippers are moving they're building their own arena in inglewood and so uh, Clippers are moving out. They want to kind of establish an identity separate from that building because the Lakers have so much history there because it does feel like, you know, you walk in, if you've ever been to the Staples Center, Mike, Crypto.com Arena, whatever, um, there's just statue after statue of, it's like in Narnia. There's a scene in uh, like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where there's all these the, all these people who had been stabbed and they turn into statues. And it's like that outside the building. It's like, there's like 40 NBA Hall of Famers, just statues, and they're all Lakers players. And so, if you're a you know if you're a Clippers fan or, or Clippers team, and your stadium's got statues of uh, a rivals players outside of it, uh, you pr- probably might be best to look into moving. And that's that's what's happening in Los Angeles. So they certainly are the the team, you know, the star stars and the city of stars. And uh, Los Angeles Lakers, it's hard to imagine that ever changing with them. It's hard to imagine a drought like the one that the New York Knicks have seen. I think this is a perfect moment to conclude the podcast. Doug has started to drop references to Narnia. It makes me go down the path of a discussion of like, what was her name? Tilda Swinton, one of the most sort of interesting looking actresses. Uh, I think she also then got cast in that Marvel movie as Dr. Strange's, uh, you know, again, so nothing good can come from, you know, going from this detour to, towards Narnia. We'll, we'll put more, more detail related to the study and, and sort of fuller description of the list and sort of breaking down each team's position on the fandomanalytics.com blog. Uh, Doug, I do got to say one thing, though. Like I said, we're, we're recording this on December 5th. Aaron Rodgers is having a tough season. And, and I'll, I'll sort of give you a real quick one, but we got to wrap this up in a second. Aaron Rodgers reached all-time troll greatness status the, like the the all t- the greatest troll of all time with his thanking the Chicago Bears fans and telling them that it almost felt like a second home to him <laughs> you know I, in terms of the uh the reaction of the Bears fans to that Wow. I mean what a moment in fandom for the the NFL so far and, and again Aaron Rodgers did this for a, I believe, four and eight Packers team. You got anything before we wrap up? Phenomenal. I think he's just basking in his dominance over Chicago for as long as he can. And, you know, I love to see it. I love to see that level of trolling from a professional athlete. Aaron Rodgers certainly is one of the unique figures in that, you know, it was recently rumored that he was uh, trying to sell a teammate on 9-11 conspiracy theories uh interesting guy you know you get under the helmet and you you start to learn that this isn't your typical nfl star this guy is uh you know he might have a hard time finding employment if he were not an athlete (laughs) and so he's uh he's but he's got a lot of power and he knows it and so he likes to he likes to flaunt it and this is a perfect example of that the nba fan rankings tilda swinton aaron Rodgers. that's your episode talk to you next week